Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. We're continuing, of course, our study of the nation of Israel, and we're really focusing on the time of the kings. We now come to Solomon, who is the third king of Israel. We saw Saul, David, and now Solomon. And he is the third king, and he's, he's become king after his father David. And at the beginning of his reign, there were problems, but he's already been established as the king. And this morning, something special. God comes to Solomon with a request. He actually says, what do you want? What do you want me to give you? And how would you answer? What if God said to you, what do you want? What do you want me to give to you? What would you say? Well, uh, we, we, we get a good look at Solomon and his character in the early years of his reign, and it talks about that he loves the Lord, and he walked and, and, and did all the right things. We'll see it. Well, this morning, we're going to see our God is a God of grace. In fact, every way that he deals with us is grace. And we're going to see it as we look through this. There's so much there. We see how he deals with Solomon and how he deals with us. And think about this. He saves us. He keeps us. He empowers us. He protects us. He gives us. And he provides for us. That's what he does. So as we look at this passage this morning, I think there'll be some great things that we'll see. Well, you all have remember the story about the person walking along and they find that lamp and they rub the lamp and the genie comes out and the genie says, I would I'd grant you three wishes. I always thought that if they said, what are your three wishes? I think my first wish would be, can I have three more wishes after this? I mean, that's what I thought you could ask, but we don't know when you think about it, what would you say if God came to you and said, what do you want? What do you want me to give you? What would you ask for? We live in a world and a culture that says, well, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. But what did Solomon say when God actually came to him and said, what do you want me to give you? This morning, God comes to Solomon and asks him, what do you want? And from the answer, we get a good idea about what Solomon is like, especially at the beginning of his kingdom. What does he do? And we see the grace of God because uh, God basically asked Solomon what he wants right in the middle of Solomon doing something wrong. Now, you may look at that and go, what? Well, we'll see it as we go through the passage. And as we, as we ended last week at the very end of chapter 2, if you notice at the very end of verse 46, it says, thus the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. And so Solomon is now, he's the king and everything's, you might say it's going really good. As we start, though, I want to remind you of the difference, the contrast between David and Solomon. David was a warrior, but Solomon was a man of peace. David was a shepherd, and Solomon is a celebrity. David wrote songs, and Solomon wrote wisdom. David lived a simple life. Solomon lived an extravagant life. David was a builder of men, and Solomon was a builder of buildings. And then really, David prepared, got everything ready for the temple, and Solomon got to build the temple. So when you look at there, two different kind of people here, and both are used by God, and I think one of the great things we can say is that we don't, none of us are the same, none of us are alike, we don't all have the game, same gift, talents, and abilities, and yet God says, okay, you're this way, and I'm going to use you to do this, and you're this way, I'm going to use you to do this, that's what God does. And, and uh, it, it's just amazing. Let me give you, this is the outline for the passage. We're going to go through it very quickly this morning. The first part is one of Solomon's weddings, one of his marriages, and then, and then this whole issue of God coming to Solomon and asking him the question. So it's really, really powerful. Well, we start with um, that Solomon gets married for an alliance. It helps him as the king. And, and we see that, that, that what a difference. David was a warrior, but Solomon was a politician. David defeated his enemies. Solomon made, Solomon made deals with his enemies. 
Now, you have to think at this time, the most powerful nation in the world besides Israel. Israel is, David has defeated all the enemies around him, so they're very powerful. The only other really powerful nation was Egypt at this time. And so we're going to see in chapter 3, verse 1, what David does, what, what Solomon does. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Now, what did he did? Right in the middle of this whole thing, he, he makes an alliance with the king of Egypt. Now, it may be that he said, you know, the only other empire that could threaten me as king, and remember, he wasn't a warrior. He didn't want to go to war. He, didn't want, he made an alliance with Egypt. And this alliance was to keep, probably to keep peace, and he made it with the daughter. And listen, Pharaoh's daughter, we're going to see more about her, but if you look at the scripture, Solomon had over a thousand wives. Now, most of those wives were alliances to make peace and to keep things going. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. A concubine is a slave wife. So he had about a thousand wives. It was wrong, of course. We know that. One's enough. First Kings chapter 11, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, I make uh, Hygiene, that's a really good thing. But anyway... <laughs> First Kings 11.1 basically says that do not marry women that, are, that don't believe the way Solomon did and it wasn't Jewish, and he married a lot of non-Jewish women. He married people that didn't believe, and the Bible says it turned his heart away from God. So you have to be really, really careful because he was told that a king was not multiply horses, gold, or, or wives. Deuteronomy 17, seven, uh, 17, verses 14 through 17 says, when you become king, do not multiply horses. He went out and he got all kind of horses. You're not supposed to multiply horses because you're not supposed to trust your horses. You're supposed to trust God. He said, don't multiply gold. Gold, you trust your wealth. Solomon went out and he got more gold than anybody's ever had before. He did just opposite what God told him. God said, don't get a bunch of wives because one is enough and you, and you can't do that. And if you marry wives from other places, they'll turn your heart away. And that's exactly what happened. You understand that Solomon begins very well. He begins well, but he does not end well because those wives turned his heart away from God. And at the very end, Solomon actually allowed false worship in the temple. And we'll see that as we go through his life. And let me just remind you this, as far as men and women, you've got to marry someone that not only is a Christian, because as believers, you can't marry somebody that's not a believer, not supposed to. And second is you need to marry someone that's on fire for Jesus Christ. I tell guys and girls, and I'll say to a girl, I said, listen, you don't want just a, a guy who's a Christian. You want a guy who's on fire for Jesus Christ. And I tell the same thing for the, for the guy. I said, listen, you just don't want a Christian girl. You want one that's on fire for Christ. Because see what happens sometimes, even if you marry another Christian, but that Christian is not fired up, and you think to yourself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them. They'll, they'll get fired up after we get married. Listen, for the guy, listen, this is the best you're going to ever see him, right? I mean, this is it. This is the best you're going to ever see from him. And listen, if he's not fired up before, it's going to be rare that he's going to be fired up after. And let me just tell you, you don't want to do that because I've seen marriages over 40 years of being a pastor of people who get married and they actually say, I know that he's not on fire. I know that she's not on fire. I know that she's not even a believer. And they still do it anyway. And they regret it down the line. And that's what the Bible says. Solomon starts off right here. Wrong. He's marrying a woman and she is not Jewish. 
He's doing it to keep an alliance with Egypt. And these wives that he's going to get is going to pull him away from God. That's what's going to happen. In fact, right here, just see the end of the passage. It says, Solomon also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom Solomon had married. So she's going to be around. Now, we know that Solomon wrote a song called the Song of Solomon. And it's about his love for one particular woman. Some people actually say they think that one particular woman might be Pharaoh's daughter. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't say who this is. But out of a thousand women, he actually said, I really love one. And so he has all these alliances. And let's, let's, let's see what happened. It goes on to say at the end of the verse that he had finished, he had built his own house. That was a palace. We'll see that. He built the house of the Lord. That's the temple. We'll see that. And then he built a wall around Jerusalem. So that's what he does as he marries this, this girl and brings her in, brings this woman in. Now, watch what we see about what's going on. The people were still, this is verse 2, the people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now, they were going to the high places. That's on the top of a hill. And what sometimes the people would do, they would go up to the top of a hill, build a little altar, and offer sacrifices. At this time, there is the, the ark is at Jerusalem. They should be offering sacrifices at Jerusalem. That's what they were supposed to do. In fact, we think that the tabernacle had been moved to Gibeon, but the ark was still at Jerusalem. And so there's a lot of confusion. And that's why I think this verse says, there was no house built for the name of the Lord in, in, until those days. Solomon had not yet built the, the temple. It was still not right for people to go to the top of a mountain, at the top of a hill, to, to offer a sacrifice. They weren't supposed to do that. God had already told them when they come into the land and he picks a, a city, the city was Jerusalem, that's what they were supposed to do. But they didn't. Now watch this, verse 3. Now Solomon loved the Lord. Let's stop right there. Isn't that amazing? He loved the Lord. I mean, how, I, you know, how, wouldn't you, I mean, wouldn't you like to be described as a person who loves the Lord? And Jesus said that the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you know, th this is the key. In fact, all of the whole commandments of, of everything hinges on loving God and loving others. And it says Solomon loved the Lord. In fact, think about this. If you want to show our love for God, what do we do? We obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So how do we show God we love him? We obey him. We live for him. Now, here's the problem. And, 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 and we say Solomon had such a good beginning. However, look what it says in verse 3. Now, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David, doing what was right, except, uh-oh, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now, he was doing something that he really wasn't supposed to do. And we're going to see how gracious God is. Has God ever blessed you even when you weren't doing what you were supposed to do? The answer is what? Yes, he always is there. He always takes care of us. He loves us beyond what we could imagine. He's a God of grace. So look what happened. Solomon loved the Lord, except he was offering sacrifices on the high places. So look what he does. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place. Now, what he did is he went to a place called Gibeon. The ark was at Jerusalem, which was only six miles away. So he leaves and he goes to Gibeon, which was a high place. It was called a, the great high place. Notice it was called the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. A thousand. What if somebody came in here and said, I got 50 sheep I'm going to bring in. We're going to sacrifice them one at a time. We'd go, 50? That's a lot. How about a 1,000? 
a thousand in this one place. And so in this, it, we're going to see the grace of God because he's really not supposed to be there. By the way, on top of Mount Carmel, they offered sacrifices on Nebo, at Hebron, at Gibeon. They did this. Now, uh, God, is, God is a God of grace, and he's showing them grace because they're not doing what is right. And so look what happens. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon. This is verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said... Ask what you wish me to give you. Now, the Lord appears in a dream. Now, you, you know what God could say to him? What are you doing here? This is not where you're supposed to offer sacrifices. He could say that, couldn't he? That's not where you're supposed to offer them. But he doesn't say that. In fact, he says, what would you like for me to give you? Can you imagine God coming to you and saying, what would you like for me to give you? You know what we could say? We could say, well, first of all, you've already given me eternal life, and you've given me the Bible, and you've given me the Holy Spirit, and you give me spiritual gifts, and you give me this body of believers, and you give me the... Gosh, I, I, you've already given me everything. Right? We could say to God, well, what I would like for you to give me is that you would use me for your glory, that you'd take my life and use me for your glory. That's what I would really want. So he says, Solomon... What do you want? The Lord has appeared in a dream. And so he says, ask what you want me to give you. So God asked Solomon what he wants. And this is really powerful because you can see the humility of Solomon. Because let's just face it. If you're the king of Israel and you're already wealthy and powerful, and God says, what would you like? What would you want me to give you? What would you say? What would you want God to give you? We already know he's given to us as a gift, eternal life, simply by faith. Well, watch what happens. You see the humility of Solomon. Then Solomon said, you have shown, and he, and he gives, he, he recognizes, let me do it this way. Solomon recognizes all that God has already done. Look what he said. Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked, in your, to you, he walked with you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on the throne this day. So he says, you've done everything. You've done everything. He recognizes all that God has done. And let me just say this. We need to remember. We need to always be aware of what God has given to us. You could take a list. You could take a piece of paper, go back in a room somewhere by yourself and say, what, what has God done for me in all these years of my life? What has he done for me? Listen, you're going to need a lot more than one sheet of paper because he's done everything for us. And by his grace, and it's all his grace because we don't deserve anything. And there's something special in this verse. It, it, two different times it uses the word loving kindness. If you notice at the very beginning of verse 6, it says, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David. And then he says, and you have reserved for him great loving kindness. Loving kindness is a special word. It's that Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. It means loyal love. It means a love that never ends or never changes. He said, you've shown us love that never ends. That's the way he deals with every one of us in this room. His love never changes. He never loves us more. He never loves us less. It's always to the maximum. It never changes. And he goes on to say, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne. Solomon says to God, you've given David a son to sit on the throne. And by the way, that's the grace of God. 
Solomon knows it. He didn't have to be king. Somebody could have killed him. Somebody could have taken over. But no, God has allowed him to be the king. And so you've given him a son to sit on. And now watch what he says. Now, O Lord, my God, you made your servant king in the place of my father David. Yet I'm like a little child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. Now, what he says is, listen, you made me, you made me king. This is, this is amazing. I know that I didn't become king on my own. I didn't become king because King David said I was going to be king. I became king because you, God, said I would be king. And he says this, I'm like a little child. That doesn't mean he's like a kid and he doesn't know what to do. What he's saying is, I'm inexperienced. This is the idea of saying, I don't really know what to do. I need your help. I don't know how to go in and go out because I've never really been a king before. And Solomon never was a warrior. Solomon wasn't a fighter. Usually kings, when they become king, they've been warriors. They've been fighters. He's really saying, I, I don't really know how to be a king. And sometimes in our lives, you might get a new job or you might get something and you say, I, gosh, I don't really know exactly what to do. And so what he does is he says to God, I, I don't know what to do. I need your help because you made me the king. And, and I need your help to fulfill the duties. And when we think about our lives, it's the same way. He's always there. We can say to him, Lord, I need you. You are my strength. You are my shield. And then in verse 8, he says, your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen a great people who are too many to be numbered and counted. He said, wow, I'm in the middle of a great people. The Jewish people, listen, I don't care what people say about the Jewish people. The Jewish people are God's chosen people beginning in Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob and the 12 sons, the 12 tribes. Those are the Jewish people, God's chosen people. He's going to use, he's used them in the past. He set them aside for a while while the church is going. When we're gone, he's going to bring them back again. They will always be his people. They are his chosen people. They are a unique people. They are a special people. There are some people who do not like Jewish people. I think there's something wrong with them. But I understand that my Savior is Jewish, Jesus Christ. And he is my Savior of the world. And when, when we think about God's chosen people, that doesn't mean they all believe. And one of these days, the nation as a whole is going to turn back to God and believe. The Bible tells us that during the tribulation, the nation of Israel will turn to God. They will call upon the name of the Lord, and Jesus Christ will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's going to happen. And so here is this, this Jewish people. He says, I don't know what to do. They are a great people. I'm in the midst of a great people. So what does Solomon ask for? And notice in verse 9, he calls himself a servant. Verse 8, he calls himself a servant. He says, so give your servant. And I stop for a second because I want you to understand that we're servants of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20 says, What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, since we've been bought with a price, we belong to him. Therefore, glorify God in our bodies. Psalm 100 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Just what Solomon says. I'm your servant. Here's what I need. He says, Give me an understanding heart. Help me to be able to have wisdom when dealing with your people Israel. Notice what he says. He says, so give your, verse, verse 9, so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And he has this idea of to hear and to know and to obey and to apply, to be able to put this together. And what he really says is, give me wisdom so to know how to lead these people and to make wise decisions. Is that what you would have asked for? If God said, what do you need? What would you want? Out of everything you could have, what would you want? He says, I need an understanding heart. I need wisdom. I need to know how to lead the people. What about you? 
What do you want? Do you need wisdom? James 1 says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it. And so we can say to God, God, I don't know what to do here, but I'm trusting you. Help me have wisdom to make wise choices. Well, look at this. What will God say and do? Solomon's answer was pleasing to the Lord. Look at verse 10. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this thing. What did Solomon ask for? He said, I, I, I want wisdom. So what does God do? Verse 11, God said to him, because you've asked this thing, you've not asked for yourself long life, you've not asked riches for yourself, you've not asked for the life of your enemies, but you've asked yourself for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall be one like you arise after you. He says, I will give you a wise and discerning heart. We say that Solomon, people say it, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He was. He wrote Song of Solomon. He wrote the Proverbs. He wrote Ecclesiastes. In fact, if you studied the Proverbs, just read them every day. Just read the Proverbs because they're all wisdom literature. It'll say the wise man does this and the foolish man does this. That's from Solomon. God gave Solomon wisdom beyond anyone else. He's the wisest man who ever lived. Now, let me say something. Wisdom doesn't mean you're going to always do what's right. Wisdom, you may have wisdom, but that doesn't mean you're going to choose to do right. And Solomon did not choose to do right. The wisest man who ever lived chose to do wrong. And we'll see it later on in his life. God says to Solomon, I'm going to give you a wise and discerning heart. And then look what he says in verse 13. He says, and I'm going to also give you what you not asked for. I'm going to give you riches and honor, so that there'll not be any among the kings like you all your days. He says, I'm going to make you the richest person around. And Solomon became the richest man in the world and was known and honored throughout the entire world. Listen, Solomon was so wise and so rich and so powerful that people came from all over. The queen of Sheba, she came to see Solomon, and she met with him, and he asked, she asked him all kind of questions, and she looked around, and she saw the gold and the palace and the temple and everything, and she said, you're even better than I heard. In fact, even half of what was told me about you is not, it's beyond that. He was known as the wisest man who's ever lived. And so God did that for him. God gave that to him. Solomon became the richest man in the world. And by the way, do you know when you ask for something, God always gives you beyond what you ask for. You realize that in Ephesians 3.20 says he does beyond what we could ask or imagine. Sometimes we say, oh, Lord, help me with this. And he says, I'm not even going to do that for you. I'm going to do something that you can't even imagine how good it's going to be. And sometimes we've said, oh, Lord, I want this. And he goes, you don't want that. I got something so much better for you. That's what he does. He does beyond what you could ask or imagine. Just remember that. Beyond what you could ask or imagine. So sometimes we say, oh, Lord, this is what I think I want. However, you know what's best. So I'm trusting you. And then he adds something else. Verse 14, if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong uh, your days. You know what he said? I'm going to give you riches, wisdom, honor, and if you obey, Solomon, I'll let you have a long life. Obedience brings blessing. He's going to let him live a long life. Wow. 
What if Solomon would have just said, I'd like riches? What if Solomon said, I'd like to be famous? Because, you know, there's some people, their whole life is based on hoping they can be famous. Or some people's whole life is based on, oh, I hope I could be rich. Oh, I want this position. Oh, I want to do this. I want people to respect me. I want this, this. Listen, what Solomon said is, just give me wisdom, Lord, so I can be a great king over your people. And God says, I'm not even going to do that. I'm going to do beyond that. I'm going to make you the greatest king ever, the wisest man ever, and I'm going I'm to give you riches and honor and everything. God always does beyond what we can imagine. But you know how it starts? It starts with humility. What did Solomon say? I'm, I just can't do this. It's going to have to be you doing it through me. He who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. He exalts himself will be humbled. And so Solomon gives the right answer. He says, give me wisdom. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings and made a feast for his servants. What did he do after he woke up? He came to Jerusalem. That's where he should have been the first time. You know, he went to Gibeon. He wasn't supposed to go to Gibeon. He was supposed to be in Jerusalem. But God is such a God of grace that even in Gibeon, when he's doing the wrong thing, God says, what do you want? Sometimes in our lives, we don't always do everything that's right, but God is not going to forsake us. He's a God of grace, and he loves us more than we could imagine. He did burnt offerings, peace offerings. He actually had a party, if you notice it says, and made a feast for all his servants. He said, everybody come and sit down and eat. This is a great day. We're worshiping the Lord. You think about it. How do we worship God? You can worship him anytime, anyplace, anywhere, because worship is responding to who he is and what he's done. But guess what? We get to come together on a Sunday morning corporately and worship God. We get to sing and pray and give and study all as acts of worship to who he is and what he has done. So how do we respond to the grace of God in our lives? Well, let me go very quickly. Let, let's, live our, in these, let's live our lives loving the Lord. Let's do it. I mean, that, Solomon loved the Lord. So are you loving God? Do you have time with him? Do you have a Bible study, quiet time? Are you maintaining your fellowship? Are we living by the word of God? If we're going to love God, we need to obey him and know him and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. The second application, let's give thanks to God for all that we have. You realize everything we have comes from God, everything. And you know what? Everything he gives us even beyond what we could ask or imagine. We may not always realize it, but when you look at your life, that song that, uh, that song that all my life he has been faithful, I was thinking about that while I was singing that song. And I go all the way back to, uh, you know, I was born almost three months premature, my twin sister and I were. I mean, we could have died easily. They put us in a, they put us, they didn't put us in any of that stuff they have today. They didn't have any of that stuff today. Grace of God, we lived. Grace of God, I made it through the first grade through four years. I mean, through yeah, one year. But think about it. And I started looking back at my life, and every part of my life, he was there. Even before I believed in him for eternal life, he took care of me. Everything we have comes from God, and he does beyond what you could ask or imagine. Take the time to thank him for all that he's done. And then last, let's worship God. How do we do it? As we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we study, all of acts of worship. So when we come together on a Sunday morning, think about this. You're coming to worship the living God.